I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I have been becoming more and more of who I have always been. Xavier Dolan. Xavier Dolan. Xavier Dolan. Director. Scriptwriter. Producer. Shot his first film at the age of 19. I can't tell you in which way I'm becoming more and more of myself and how success has made that easier for me. Because that's just so long. I'd have to tell you all I was before and all I am now. But um, it has certainly brought me closer to the people that I really love, that have helped me get rid of the bullshit. The friends, the friendships have helped me do that. Welcome to Chosen Family. Hi, Trana. Hello, Thomas. We have been waiting for this day for a long time on Chosen Family. We're 10 minutes away from speaking to actor, writer, director Xavier Dolan. And it's Dolan. It's not Dolan or Dolan. I've always said Dolan. <laughs> I know, me too. I was once scolded on the radio for not pronouncing his name correctly. I can't believe we're just figuring this out now, 10 years into his <laughs> career. That's fine. So Xavier is queer, francophone, out there in the world. So, I, of course, as a francophone gay man in Montreal, like I look up to him, even if he's younger than me. I have a weird history with them. We'll get into it a right. bit later. I really don't like looking up to people who are younger than me. <laughs> Can you um, admire people who are younger than you? Well, him and I are basically the same age, so it's fine. Like, mm. me, him, and Gaga are, like, basically, like, there's, like, <laughs> one year apart in between each of us. And I'm okay with that. Right. But when I look at, you know, people in their, like, early 20s now, like, even if they're doing great stuff, like, I can't admire them. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> so Xavier is a phenomenon. Yeah. Um, this year, we're celebrating 10 years since his first feature, which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. I think that's when a lot of us first heard of him. His film was called J'ai tué ma mère, I killed my mother. And I remember that time and in every Montreal, Quebec newspaper, TV show, everyone was raving about him, talking about his standing ovation at Cannes. And for me, it was really witnessing the birth of this like instant movie star, but more than a movie star because he also wrote and directed it. Yeah, at 19 years old. And he funded it through his child acting savings, basically. And then he wrote directly to the programming director of Cannes to have his film featured, which to me, is still quite impressive. I have to admit, I never actually saw it. I've seen about half of his movies, but not that one. What do you think it was about that film that resonated so much? Well, the relationship with his mother. I mean, he in the movie, he plays a gay teen who wants to leave home, and he, him and his mother fight a lot. And the mom is played by Anne Dorval, who's like a genius Quebec actress. In the movie, the idea is that there's this like Freudian... Freudian? Un- Freudian. 
there's this like Freudian undertone to the whole thing that like if you want to live your life, you need to kill your mother, you know? Oh, um, that's intense. Conceptually or symbolically. Yeah. So yeah, that first film really set the tone for Xavier's career to come. And then he went back to Cannes the year after with his second film, Heartbeats. And then he went on to direct eight films in 10 years. That is so insane. It just makes me feel like what have I been doing with the last 10 years of my life? It's crazy. And most of you know this piece of work maybe you didn't know he directed it but he directed Adele's Hello music video yes which is such a great video (laughs) I think that's my favorite piece (laughs) of his work honestly that music video combined with the song just like I mean we all felt it it was massive yeah I mean but I think like that's what's also really interesting about him because I don't know about the French side but I think on the English side there's this perception of him as sort of being someone who takes himself very seriously and that he's this pretentious artist. But when you look at his influences, they're like super pop. And we see that in the Adele music video, the sort of marrying of darkness mixed with like, this is a super pop anthem. And I really love that contrast and juxtaposition. Yeah. He was also a child star, right? Yes, he was on a bunch of kids' movies. He was also in um, some ad campaigns here in Quebec, and he's done a lot of voice acting. Most famously, he's dubbed the French voice of Ron Weasley in the Quebec version of Harry Potter. So Quebec has a shared history with him Absolutely. over many years. He's a, he directed one film in English that hasn't been released in the U.S. It's been released in Canada. It was kind of a controversy because... Um, it took so long. It took so long. There were so many rewrites. Yeah. I mean, the cast is incredible. Kit Harrington is in it. Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates, Natalie Portman. And Jessica Chastain, who got cut from the movie. Exactly. The title is The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. And it's a story of this TV actor who is like a huge star and he's caught having a pen pal relationship with a kid who's a fan. Why don't you just back it all the way up to how things started with you and John F. Donovan? There's a little bit of that film that kind of mirrors Xavier's real life because he's said often that he was writing letters to actors when he was a, a teen, a tween. I remember he posted a letter that he wrote to Leonardo DiCaprio, um, which he wrote as a kid. And when he posted it, it went viral. I thought it was the sweetest thing. And it was I relate to it, like that obsessiveness and being attached to your favorite artist. But also knowing that something else is possible for you from a really young age. Yeah, I think. Like a lot of queer people can identify with that. Right. We know something else. Well, he was probably already plotting his career when he was eight and how (laughs) to get there. That's the thing is like he's 30 now, but like it was 25 years in the making. Yeah. You know, you've been following him since the beginning. Like you're sort of. Well, we met before he even released his first film. I remember he was. It was a Friday night just in front of a venue, I think, here in Montreal. And I was going to see a show and he must have been 17 or 18. I was working as a magazine editor at the time. And he was just he started talking to me. I think he recognized me from the magazine because my picture was in it. And I was like, who is this kid? Like, what's his deal? And he just had this energy and this flair around him. He was featured because we had this like street style section where we'd profile just people, random people on the street who had good style. And he was just like, he looked like a dandy, just with like his long curly hair, this like pompadour. He was wearing skinny jeans. You could you could tell that he had the sense of details even in his outfits as a 17-year-old. Right. Um, anyway, so I like to think that I'm kind of the Forrest Gump 
of his career. <laughs> like, I'm always because you've just been in the background. I'm in these like in the background. random moments. I, I mean, so okay, when I killed my mother came out to launch the promo for the film, he actually called me at the magazine and he was like, "Can I get a free page of advertising in the magazine? We don't give like when right. you're media, you don't give out advertising." But did you? We did. I went to my <laughs> boss and I was like, "Oh, this kid is cute. Like, we should do something. We should like." I saw it as a cause almost. Like I right. saw it as like a charity. So his distributor agreed to um, give us tickets to the opening in exchange of the ad page, not knowing that they gave too many tickets. So when uh. we got to the opening, it was packed. It was sold out. Uh, we're a whole team from the magazine. We can't get in. And then we're in front of the theater. We see Xavier's head pop out of the door. And he looks, he points at me and my friend. He's like, you two, come in. And then I had to leave. I had to leave. My bosses behind me. In that moment, I had to be like, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, like, I this gotta is, run. History's calling me. So I was there. I was sitting actually on the stairs. I don't think there were any seats left. Okay, and wow. you could really feel the energy. You yeah. felt that it was something special was happening. It was a new voice. Oh, je l'aime. Je peux la regarder. In the opening of the film, it's Xavier's character talking directly to the camera. Mais... Je peux pas être son fils. I can't be her son. I could be anyone's son, but not hers. So the year after J'ai tué ma mère, he released a new film and I asked to interview him. So this story is kind of embarrassing because we met in the office where his agency is here in Montreal. And then I was asking him a bunch of questions and I, 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 I was like 25 and I was like, he's really cute. Like he's, he's handsome. He's so smart. Like yeah, I'm really turned so on by smart, smart people. Just don't call yourself a sapiosexual. Please. No, never, God. never, never. Anyways, he was flying to Cannes the day after the interview. And he's like, when I come back from Cannes, we should go for a drink. And I'm like, okay. I, to me, it was just like a professional encounter. Really? And then that opened the door. I flipped out. <laughs> <laughs> so he was back in Cannes for the second year. Wall-to-wall media coverage. Yeah, like I remember. how his heartbeat's going to be. I still uh, remember received. seeing the posters for Heartbeats, Les Amours Imaginaires, yes. everywhere. So it was a story. It was a love triangle between him, a girl, and then this straight guy. They were both in love with him. Very different from I Killed My Mother. Very funny. Qui est cet android? Sa mère. Elle s'appelle... So the whole time he's in Cannes, I'm obsessing. I'm imagining the wedding and imagining myself with him in like, I don't know, at some like award ceremony. And when he's back, and I know he's back because he's been in the media in, in Montreal, I'm waiting for... Waiting for that call. Waiting for that call. <laughs> He, and then when I tried a few times to reach out, but eventually we spoke and he was like, listen, like, I'm just too busy and it's not going to happen. Oh, God. I know. But like, I love that in that story. I'm like, I'm the fool. When I think back of that Thomas at 24, 25, and I still see today when I'm obsessed over a situation right. or, you know, it, like yeah, when I'm course. angry or when I love something, like I get very obsessive. But at the time, I wasn't really conscious of it. And mm -hmm. I, it threw me in a tailspin. Jesus. And I sort of bottomed emotionally over that situation. Right. And he has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. 
And then the final story, I think, is the best one. So Mommy is his big film. Came out in 2014. It stars Andor Val again. That's my favorite of his yeah. movies. For anyone listening who hasn't ever seen one of Xavier's movies, Mommy is the perfect entry into his cinematic universe. Not a dull moment avec Steve. Whoa. One iconic scene is where the three main characters are singing and dancing in the kitchen to a Celine Dion French song called On ne change pas. On ne change pas. It's such a beautiful scene. We never change. <laughs> yeah, we never change. We never change. I wonder if that's how Xavier feels. <laughs> Mommy won the jury prize at Cannes, and it even got a seven-minute standing ovation. When Xavier came back to Canada, I booked him on this TV show I was working on called 125 Marianne. And then the week of the show, he's like, I need a car. Like, I need a car to pick me up. Where we live, we don't do that. We're, it's not L.A. It's not New York. Right, we yeah. don't send cars. In Montreal, people, when they aren't TV or on the radio, <laughs> you take the metro like everybody else. True. Did you do it? Did you book him a car? Yeah. <laughs> The day of the show, he's literally like five blocks away from the studio. <laughs> like it makes no, he could walk. But we still send the car. He's scheduled to appear in the second segment. And when we start the show, which is live, it's really, it's live, it's live. for real. He's not in the studio. He's not around the studio. Oh we don't know God. where he is. So we start the show. And the actress is in the first segment. We have 11 minutes to get him in, ready, made up, changed in the right outfit. We finish the interview with Anne. He's not there. The pianist Gonzalez is on in between the segments. A few minutes go by. And then there's one minute left before Xavier goes on air. So we're back from the commercial break. And then they start to count down 20 seconds. 15, 10, walks in the studio, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, he's in the chair. Alors oui, il est là. Bonsoir, Xavier Dolan. Bonsoir. Bonsoir, je Oh my God. And that moment was such a scene and so representative of who he is and how he does he does everything the way he wants to. Meanwhile, I'm backstage sweating. I'm getting nervous just hearing the story. Because he could cancel on us he within the next 20 seconds. He could. À la montée des marches, du nouveau film de Xavier Dolan, Mathias et, nous avons donc et Maxime. Ten years after coming to Cannes with I Killed My Mother, he's back with his eighth feature film, his sixth to be in Cannes. So Xavier's latest film just came out across Canada. It's called Mathias et Maxime. Xavier plays Maxime. He's in it. It tells the story of two childhood friends who end up kissing on screen for a student film. Est-ce que vous êtes des gens embrassés avant? Eh hey boy. Vous avez fait de la vaisselle, là, ce que? <laughs> Parce que c'est ça, la scène que vous avez And that kiss will open doors, my friend, on how they feel about each other because none of them is queer or out. One has a girlfriend, Mathias, and uh, Maxime is not really queer, but a little bit, but not open, makes out with girls. Very interesting film about fluidity, friendship, and even language, because the film is in French, but there's a commentary on the use of English words in the French language, which I really liked. I just love the idea of Xavier writing a movie that, like, one kiss can fuck everything up. <laughs> like, to me, that's, like, peak Xavier. 
<laughs> it is. So we're about to talk to him now. We couldn't actually get face-to-face time with him because he's all over the province promoting the new movie. So he's actually going to be joining us from a studio in Trois-Rivières, Three Rivers. He's in a studio there. They're going to patch him into us. And God willing, this works out. Hello, Xavier. Salut, ça Salut, va? Salut, ça va toi? Oui, j'entends une belle oui, voix familière. Hey, Xavier. Oui. <laughs> hey, how are you? Thanks so much for doing this. I've not been speaking a lot of English in the past days, but it should be Don't okay. worry, don't worry. <laughs> I want to start by thanking you for including a Britney Spears song in Mathias et Maxime, which I believe <laughs> is a first in a Quebecois film. I, when I was watching yeah. the film and the first four bars, we're not going to say which song it is or what's happening in the film. I don't want to no, spoil please, that. No, yeah, please don't. But when that happened, I screamed in the movie theater. <laughs> what, why Britney? What does she mean to you? Oh, I mean, she means a lot. I mean, you can imagine. I, as a young teen, her entire world, it was something that I can relate to. And uh, she's been very generous. I... You know, the, these these artists are guarded by a lot of representatives. I, I don't want to spoil it either, but it's a song that plays uh, in a strip club. Strippers bar? What do you what do you call that? Yeah, Strippers strip club? Yeah, strip clubs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, they don't want her music to be associated with that world. But um, I wrote them a letter and said, listen, I don't think the reading here is is right. I have a lot of admiration for Britney and... When you oppose, you know, the song to uh, what's being said in that scene, I think, you know, there's a meaning. And, and they heard me and they actually came back and said, okay, we'll, we will give you the song. And they were very generous. This, this story so. is, is the exact example of one of the things I admire the most about you. I've been following you, of course, oh, yeah? for 10 years. It's not only that you go after what you want, is that you're not afraid to ask for what you want. You write letters to actors or Britney's representatives. Um, you've got in contact with the programming director at Cannes when you wanted to release I Killed My Mother. You asked Anne Dorval, Quebec's leading actress, to be in your first feature. Were you always that self-confident? Um... You know what? I don't even know that I'm self-confident. I think I'm confident because there are a lot of things about myself that I loathe and that I constantly question and doubt. I've been told no so many times. You know, when I was handing out my first script, people would say, this is not good. You have to go back to school. This is shit. And so, you know, there were hardships along the way, which is good and which is normal, I guess. But uh, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew I wanted to be an actor and director And anyone standing in my way was a hurdle that I needed to sort of circumvent and go around because it wasn't a question for me. I, I had to survive and just do my thing. I have confidence, perhaps not in myself, but in my ideas and in what I want to do. I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about those no's because I think that there's this perception of you being this person that has sort of like been able to get what they want. Does that tie into the way that you feel about how your work is categorized? Like, is that something that you push back against? For example, when your work is just sort of automatically labeled as queer, is that limiting to you? I don't really care. I'm queer. So, you know, when I grew up, all the films that I would see, all the shows that I would watch featured nothing but, uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm exploiting the popularity of the word, but white men who were heterosexual. And, you know, whiteness is not something I was especially aware of as a kid because 
I always considered myself white, although I'm actually Egyptian and was brought up in a family of Egyptian people who were screaming at each other at the table and all talking, <laughs> you know, and one another. And I am grateful for that upbringing and, and having my grandmother cook that food and tell me these things and teach me stuff about her own culture and where she came from and how they had to struggle with racism, you know, when they arrived in Montreal in, in, in the 60s. But the one thing I was not surrounded with were gays. That was not a part of my culture. I knew it existed. <laughs> I knew the gays existed. <laughs> but uh, that, the how could I ignore land. their existence? The promised land. Um, but they were just exotic to me. They were. It, it was a foreign territory in which... I was not to venture, not that I had been forbidden to. My mom actually would say these things like, you know, it's okay to think that a man is is handsome. <laughs> and oh. I was like, yeah, yeah. So I would go around <laughs> and tell people, I think that man is really handsome. And, you know, it's okay for a man to say that. <laughs> but uh, I realized all the cultural references around me, the movies that I worshipped, Titanic, uh, the shows that I binged, Roswell, Charmed, all these WB shows that were <laughs> I love whole... that you were a WB kid. So oh my I. God, I was such a WB freak. <laughs> and I would rip them off of the my satellite TV okay. for which I was paying with my child acting savings. And I would transfer it on my computer and burn DVDs of these wow. episodes and watch them over and over again. But the one thing that I never saw in there were queer people. Never. And then eventually, when I got older, there were movies like Mysterious Skin or Y Tu Mama Tambien, where it's actually not really even a movie about queerness or queer people, but just two guys trying something. But uh, there were movies where suddenly I could see male contact and male sex. But these were also very bleak stories about mm -hmm. suicide, about bullying. They were always tragic stories. I could never really see myself represented. So maybe for a part of my life, I struggled with my life, be with my work, sorry, being categorized as queer, but I certainly don't anymore. I am queer, and if I tell a love story about two men, I'm just telling a love story. I've seen fucking love stories about, you know, between men and women my entire life, and I've never categorized them as straight movies. I might make movies about homosexual people for the rest of my life. They'll still be stories and movies, and that's just that's just the way it is. I'm gonna sneeze. Get you in a second. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. So watch watching. This my... is the punctuation to my little my little <laughs> stance. Here. So watching Matthias and Maxim, it kind of reminded me of Heartbeats, where you have a a, okay. a man, a queer-ish character who falls for their straight-ish male friend. In Matthias and Maxim. Maxim is not explicitly gay, and Matthias has a girlfriend, so it's a bit more ambiguous. Uh, why are you so interested in that sort of dynamic where you're unsure if the other person is into it or not? <sighs> That's one for my shrink. Yeah, um, and your astrologer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I find easy stories, more boring on screen. I feel like a movie is always about a problem, so something has to be wrong. Something has to be hard to get. Then that also transfers to my personal life. <laughs> uh, it's true that I've always been attracted to people who are not necessarily interested in me, or even if they were queer, they were in a relationship or lived abroad. Um... I don't know. Well, I think what it's so interesting me, so. because in addition to that idea of like the unrequited, there's also the ambiguous. And one of the things that I love about your films, you know, you're talking about 
the media that you consumed as a kid, which was so, you know, heterosexual. So and, heterosexual. But I think that your films, even though they get labeled as queer cinema, if you will, your films are so much more about ambiguity and not rigidly defining things. Is that something that's a part of your life as well? Like, do you want to see the culture move into this more ambiguous area, or at least an area where we're more comfortable with ambiguity instead of always having to put things in boxes? I Maybe I'm the one who's not comfortable with, with ambiguity because I've been living with ambiguity my entire life, not my own ambiguity. But, you know, I've been with heterosexual men my entire 20s, and they were ambiguous, and they were trying to be gay but not necessarily able to. And so, but when I graduated high school, you know, we were gay or we were straight. And then there were the bi's and we're like, wow. <laughs> well, was that even a thing? Because for How me, bi- would it be? bisexuality so was not choose. an option for, for, I remember bisexuality was like, you know, you have to choose. It's, it's, the, it's a phase or did you feel that pressure yourself? Hello, Xavier? Hello? Are you there? Hi. I think Hello? we lost him. Hi. Yeah, I think so. Did we drop the line? I thought he didn't want to answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Just hold on. Okay. I just said, on a perdu la ligne. Là. Je sais pas si c'est de votre côté ou de mon côté. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Allô, Xavier. Allô? Allô, allô. Ah, excuse. Bon, hey, merci encore. Désolé, je pense que c'est passé un bug. Et là, on, on, on non, c'est correct. Notre conversation était trop gay pour que ça continue. <laughs> yeah, the perdu. phone lines just went yeah, nuts. It was like, this is... This is... Like, no, that's too gay. We have to. Just, yeah, just shut them, yeah, shut them down. So I shut think every, we have... Shut everything off. Yeah, we have another fr- so 15 should we minutes. So should we just yeah. pick up where we left? Yeah. Yeah, of course. What do you yeah. want to do? Um, actually, I have a story I want to share with you. It's in 2015 uh, when you won the um, Quebec Film Gala Award for Mommy for Best Film. I was at the ceremony. You won every award that night. And you read quite a beautiful note to your mom. Do you remember that? Um, sure. I mean, I... I... <laughs> I don't remember textually what I what I wrote, but I remember certainly I, I remember the circumstances in the love declaration. Uh, I, I mean, I think I do. You said, in every word I write, in every reply, in each frame, you are there. And the person you are is the person I am today. And I teared up because I had my own challenges with my mom at the time. It was so beautiful because, you know, in our personal lives, we tend to deal with these issues on a really 
intimate level, one-on-one or in like a family context. But you work out these big issues on like on the screen literally has that helped to deal with that, that relationship with your family and your mother has it has it helped me dealing with my own issues yeah well all these mom characters all these moms they're not therapeutical for me they're not it's not a cathar- cathartic is that a word mm-hmm. the thing is i've been asked about my about mothers and my mother for for a decade now you mm-hmm. talk a lot about mothers you talk i'm not putting you in that category obviously it's a different story but what i'm trying to tell you is i just write about women women just inspire me and when i write about mothers first and foremost for me these are women with a more i don't want to say that you know sing, that that, pe- that women who are non mothers are not complex i'm just saying that it is a complex thing to be a woman already and then when you become a mother there is a part of yourself that you sacrifice there are a lot of things you renounce to to be in in a maternal function with your with your children with your child that makes for very rich and interesting characters and i've always i've always been inspired by that i've been inspired by my mom clearly but not only her Uh, some of her friends and some mothers that I've met. And also and like the women. mothers of our friends, what they mean to us. There's a character in, exactly. in, in Matessa Maxim and like I related to yeah. that because I remember some of my friends' mothers meant a lot to me growing up. That 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 character in Madame Max is a sort of amalgamation between the mother of my very best friend when I was, was, when I was in high school and my aunt. By the is, way, Xavier Trena's family is also Egyptian and she... We have you, cousins in common. But not blood really? related. Yeah, Nicole and Pascal Tarazi. Wow, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're my second cousins. You know, I, my cousins are like sisters to me. They've always been. And it's really so, oh my yeah. God, that's great. I always looked at them as like two of like the coolest women. And uh. I just like grew up like really worshiping them. Me too. I, I, I They're gorgeous and liberal and, and open-minded. And they're the first people I actually came out to. Oh, my God. You know, it's so funny yeah. that you say that because I was going to mention that, you know, even though I don't think that I grew up with them as closely as you did, like, I always felt like they were two people in my life that I could really tell anything to. And I think what's really interesting looking at your film is that, like, in addition to the, you know, archetype of the mother, there's also sort of the archetype of the man with a secret, you know, in the yeah. character of Matthias and John F. Donovan and the character of Louis in It's Only the End of the World. They each yeah, sort of have it's, it's a true. secret. Do you think of yourself as a secretive person, not in regards to sexuality, but just do you see yourself that way or do you feel like you've been no. really an open book? I don't feel like I'm secretive. I feel like I've opened my mouth on so many things on so many occasions <laughs> that I should sh- just shut up. Uh, I have no regrets, but I've always been very frontal and very direct about how I feel about certain things. I've obviously, you know, I, I've said a lot of shit and, and in time realized that I was wrong about a lot of things. But I don't feel like I've concealed anything from anyone. Also, these films, s- there are a lot of films out there that are made by people where you feel that there is none of them, no part of them in these films, Mm -hmm. that they could have been made by anybody else. And I make these films with all my heart, and I make them with a huge part of myself. And so when you talk about mystery, I don't feel there's mystery because these films talk a lot about what how I feel toward a lot of different things, whether love or brotherhood or family or society or... Or 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 language. Yeah, I, I do feel like these films are my open book. I may not be out there with 
you know, a boyfriend and, and talking about my, my private life. But that's because I don't have a private life. I don't have a boyfriend. So there's no mystery there. So, <laughs> is it because you work too much? And that's where your focus is or has been? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, um, I don't know. I, I, I sort of thrive romantically in... Uh, unrequited love. I feel uh, the exact scenarios. same. That's why I'm asking. I think, I'm not I think putting you know you on that. The spot. I think you know that already. Yeah, I'm not putting you on the spot. It's just because I feel the exact same way in my life, and I think sometimes I'm looking to validate that feeling. So when I see someone that I, I admire, like you, or like whose work I really love, it's like, oh, if they're like me, then it's okay. Like I'm not that fucked. Well, up. I'm not. I'm not going to validate it for you. Is it okay? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't no, think it's wrong. Have, no, exactly. I, 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 I don't think it's wrong. I don't feel ashamed by that i'm not i realize that i love patterns and now there's another factor in there that's that's hard to withdraw from the equation and it's the fact that i'm someone that my notoriety is something that i cannot extract from you know i can't just walk into a bar or be on a dating app i would love that but i can't it's weird but it depends where xavier like, you couldn't do, you do it in Montreal. Give you couldn't do it in France. But do you get a sense of anonymity sometimes if, let's say, you go to a city like L.A. or even New York? It depends. You, we gravitate towards circles that, that we love. Would know and you, toward, yes. That, no, not that I would only go in places that know me, but, uh, I mean, as a, as a prescription. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I feel that I go to places where... I love, you know, the ambience or the energy or the music or the people or the crowd. And that inevitably will bring me to places where, yes, people will know who I am. I'm not saying it's as a, a crushing reality as if I were, I don't know, like Sean Mendes or... Or I'm not John F. Donovan. <laughs> I'm not, I am not that celebrity. I'm not that famous. But it has rewritten my entire private life in a way that even if someone doesn't know me, it's hard to live with someone and the lifestyle that I have, the travels, the work, the fact that I'll disappear to write something, that's hardly fathomable for people who have not experienced it themselves. Mm -hmm. And then for the rare times where I've experienced it, it is hard to have a career and do something and feel that you are fulfilled and that someone next to you is striving for something else in another, in another domain and they don't feel as fulfilled as you are. That makes for a lot of tension and I'm not really looking for that anyway. I'm looking for romance. I'm not looking for stability and relationship and settling down and I'm looking for mad passionate love <laughs> where we'll chase each other and then it won't work and I will be stranded in an airport and listen to everything by Lifehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing greater than writing movies when you are heartbroken or when you are striving to impress someone that you wish loved you. Do you scream in relationships the way your characters scream in your films? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a relationship, so how would, how would I? Know? Like, if you're dating or if you meet this passion that you're talking about, if you're, I look, I don't, I, I I'm Egyptian, so screaming to me means normal. So <laughs> what means I, I love I you. Get you know, it. I, I get it. I, I, a lot of people have said that about my my movies that people screamed all the time. I just these are movies that happen in very emotionally demanding and challenging situations, and which it is to me warranted that you would scream. I mean, 
this is life. People insult each other and then laugh about it and then hug each other. And at least this is the life that I know. But also some people are afraid of conflict. About. Some people are afraid of conflict. Of and course they're afraid, they're afraid of, of conflict. And, yeah. But things are not always... Um, um, you know, easy and soft and, and you don't always ask permission before you hit someone or before you scream at someone or before you, you feel betrayed or it, it, things are not always polite and courteous and, and, and feelings are feelings. I make movies out of feelings, things that I felt and the most important thing about these films are not the acting, they're not the sets, they're not the light, they're not the names of the actors on the sheet, they're not me, they're not my little stupid ideas of how we can frame something or play with film stock or Rachel. The most important thing for me is feeling. And to me, that is often violent and they're toxic, violent emotions. And I know that that's unbearable to a lot of people, that they're exhausted by that, that they find that exasperating. They can watch other people's films. At the screening of Matthias and Maxim, there's a notice that you included in the sort of press yeah. release that was given to us. There's a part where you say that success is accompanied by isolation. Um, mm -hmm. And I hate to quote Oprah, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> you love you to quote Oprah. Yeah, there you go. He I know, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed, so I have to preface it with, you know, a fake apology. What did she say? So she believes that fame and success don't actually change you, that they just make you more of what you already are. And I'm curious yeah. for you, what do you think fame and success has amplified in you or made you more of? Oh God, how much time do we have left? <laughs> it's just, it's a beautiful question and it's a beautiful quote and it's just 100% right because I feel that I've been, that I've embarked on this path, I don't know, like 12 years ago because everything, things started for me before I killed my mother was released. So I would say 12 years ago. And um, what I know for sure is that I have been becoming more and more of who I have always been, but that that was buried under a lot of hate, under a lot of feelings that we are all familiar with because <laughs> it is long as gay people before we actually embrace ourselves and who we are. It's long before we can get rid of that filth that we are forced to swallow our entire lives. But once you do that, you you walk toward that person. I'm becoming who I always wanted to be, but in a way that I would have never been able to had I not had to overcome the obstacles and the hurdles and the hindrances. So I can't tell you in which way, because that's just so long. I'd have to tell you all I was before and all I am now. I don't know in which way I'm becoming more and more of myself and how success has made that easier for me. But... um this is maybe a, a, a beginning of an answer. It has certainly brought me closer to the people that I really love and the people that really love me and that have helped me shape who I am, that have helped me get rid of the bullshit, of the superfluous friendships, of the superfluous traits of my own character, moments in my life where I thought it was fancy and cool to hate everything and hate on everything. I've gotten rid of that. And... The friends, the friendships have helped me do that. 
And it's rare to have friends when you're in, at least when I'm in my situation, I feel it's rare to know what people's intentions are. And so my friends are very precious. They're not numerous, but they, they've saved me and they've helped me becoming who I am. I'm sorry if I got a little lost there in your, it's such a no, vast that's question, the, you I, know. That's, do you understand my I answer? I completely understand and I think it's okay. like beautiful. And I, on it, like, I thank you for sharing that answer so honestly. Well, you've made me honest. It's just, that's the way it is. I talk to you, too, and you're just, you make me want to tell you the truth. Merci, Xavier. Well, I'm so honored. I'm sorry again that we had that glitch, but thank you so much for no, coming I'm back sorry. and it's finishing fine. this with us. They yeah. try to stop us, but we're unstoppable. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thank you okay, so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks. What a ride that was. <laughs> okay, Forrest Gump, have you like made your way from the background to the foreground now that we've had this chance to like talk to him? And I mean, you have spoken to him in the past, but. Um, it feels different because I feel back then I was always doing work for other people. It was fulfilling, but also I never felt fully myself in this capacity. So I'm proud because this time it's with a project that is so close to my heart and close to who I am. Right. Um, I was I've, I was really inspired by him over the years and there's a little bit of his work in me and to be able to connect with him was just a really special moment. Yeah. You don't have a crush on him anymore? Huh? <laughs> I mean You know what I think it is I think I'm like obsessed <laughs> now Oh god Mathias et Maxime is out now Across Canada Even if you don't speak French There are subtitled versions Really make sure to check it out And again to anyone who hasn't seen any of his films Start with Mommy Laurence Anyways is great too There's so much to discover And I mean or just like go on YouTube And watch Adele's Hello Again It's the fall like now's the time (laughs) Chosen Family is produced by me Trana Winter And me Thomas LeBlanc with Crystal Duhame Crystal also edits and mixes the show Our talent producer on this episode was Catherine Stockhausen. Special thanks to Sophie Bilodeau from Film SV, Pierre-André Cloutier, Radio-Canada Trois-Rivières, Joe Rogers, and CBC Archives. If you haven't already, make sure to join our Facebook group. Just go on there, search Chosen Family. You'll find it. We have the picture of Xavier at 17 looking like a little elf from Nightlife Magazine, (laughs) and we're going to post it in the group. So please join the group. We're always trying to post cute things for you. Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Narani is the executive producer. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. And listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.